Welcome to the Carol Call Podcast. We are just starting a new episode for uh, this month. Today we have our career call with Sheila Berry. She is the Livestock Extension Advisor in San Francisco Bay Area and Santa Clara County Director. So before we go ahead and call Sheila, let me go and let me go ahead and call Brooke Latek. Hello, Brooke. Hi, Pedro. How are you? Pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. You had a good time for a call? It's always a great time for a cattle call. Great, great, Brooke. So let me go ahead and call Sheila. Hello, Sheila. Hi, how are you? Do, doing good. How are you doing? I'm, I'm great. Thank you. Okay. So, Sheila, we often get started with very simple questions so we get to know you a little better. Uh, we are going to talk a little bit. Uh, I, I, I should have introduced yourself as, as Dr. Barry and not Sheila, but we're going to talk about that a little later. So the first two simple questions that I ask is, where are you from and what do you do? Well, thank you first for having me on your podcast today. And, and I really look forward to telling you a bit about my career and some of my applied research as well. But um, I'm a third generation Californian born in La Jolla, near San, which is near San Diego. However, when I was a child, my family moved to Oak Ridge, Tennessee, and I grew up there playing in the woods and sort of developing a love for the outdoors. But then in middle school, we moved back to Southern California. And now for the past 25 years or so, I've lived in Northern California. And as you mentioned, working as a livestock and natural resource advisor for cooperative extension and mostly been in the San Francisco Bay area. That's that's great. So you've, you've been in both coasts of the U.S., like here in Tennessee, then you actually grew up closer to us here in Southern California. So, you know, you know, the heat as well. Uh, yeah. uh, so uh, growing up in, in those different environments, how how did you start to work in agriculture? How were you exposed to agriculture uh, and livestock now? How was the decision of, of going to school and, and deciding to do what you do today? Well, I, I actually got interested in agriculture and also in, in beef cattle science when we moved back to California. Um, as, a, as a freshman in high school, I went to the school counselor because I found out that I was going to be in the same typing class as my older sister. And I decided that wasn't a good way to start high school. So I, I told my high school counselor I wanted to do something sort of science-y, and she suggested vocational agriculture, um, which was our, uh, which is Future Farmers of America, um, and, and our school happened to have a, um, a school farm um, that was given to the school by Mission Viejo Ranch, which is still a working ranch, in fact, the only working ranch in um, Orange County. Um, and they had provided land to the school for vocational ag. Um, looking back, I find it like really strange that in a high school of 2000 with less than I would say 20 enrolled in ag that this high school counselor suggested this program at all because it clearly wasn't their, their flagship program. But I ended up raising animals and showing them at fair. I had uh, some started with some hogs and had had a couple lambs 
um, and chickens. And then I had eventually a steer and, a, and then I bred a sow. We also had a, a meat processing facility on campus. And we spent most of our classroom time actually doing cut and wrap, um, either with animals from the farm or venison that the, the um, instructor and his sort of hunting buddies would, would bring in. So we were, I guess, labor for, for, for that. But we learned a lot about, about meat processing. And, and then it was in sort of my junior and senior year when we as students had to fight for the future of the farm that I became really, I would say, invested in, in agriculture. And I was particularly struck by how little at that time, you know, adults, and in particular, the school leaders, the principal, had of uh, their understanding of the of animal agriculture and what was even happening on this farm and what our capabilities were. We wanted to use um, the meat processing facility to, to um, cut and wrap our, our animals that we had raised there and sold. And he wanted assurance that the animals wouldn't be hurt. Mind you, they were dead animals already. <laughs> that they were, they were custom slaughtered. So that wasn't part of what we were doing. And then he wanted, he was, he was quite concerned that we would, and you know, this is as a, you know, how I remember this from years ago. So maybe it's not exactly right, but I think it's kind of funny that he wanted assurance that we wouldn't mess up cuts. And the example I remember was somehow turn a ham into a pork chop. <laughs> and um, anyhow, I was just, as I said, struck by how little understanding there was of, of, um, animal ag. I went on to study agricultural science and management at UC Davis, um, which is where I really realized, where I realized that I really liked working with beef cattle. I lived at the university feedlot mm -hmm. um, for one year and also the university dairy. Um, and then before I graduated, though, I decided I really needed to have more hands-on experience if I wanted to work in the beef cattle industry. So I, I wanted to do an intern on a ranch. And I found an article about women that were ranching on their own. And this was in Progressive Farmer. And they were widows that um, had continued the ranching. And I thought that would be a good place for me to start, you know. Um, so I called one of them up in Winters, Texas. And um, spent the summer with her. She was all, all about cattle. It was 24 seven cattle. She did, she fed cattle at the cattle at Abilene cattle feeder. She traded cattle. She managed her ranch. She set me up with jobs, working cattle. We, I did day work, dehorning cattle. And mind you, corrals made of, of, uh, uh, bed springs. I'd heard about that, but mm -hmm. actually did that. <laughs> In corrals made of bed springs, we dehorned cattle. Um, I worked with hospital crews in a feed yard, stacked hay, moved cattle, applied herbicide and fertilizer to pasture, and then had this really horrible job for a week unloading trucks during milo harvest because that's a really itchy, horrible job, I learned. <laughs> um, I went on to... Uh, to graduate school um, and studied beef cattle science at Texas A&M. And this was the 90s. Um, I was in the Masters of Ag program and I went into that program because it would involve more internship. 
mm-hmm. and the idea was that the program would place you on a ranch, but um, I didn't maybe push back enough, but they wouldn't place me on a ranch. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead I got put on an experiment station, which uh, happened to be an excellent experience. I um, got to do all the, a bunch of cattle work at the experiment station and as well as learned about extension. And um, so that really launched me into my, um, my first job, which was um, I, on, on my desk was a catalog, and this was before internet, of all the extension offices in the, in the, in the U.S. And so it was like a ready-made list for me to send out my resume. Uh-huh. And so I landed my first job in extension in, in Colorado, um, actually, in, in that, Pueblo, Colorado, as an, ag, an agricultural agent. That's nice. So just bef- before we move to your career in, in general, <laughs> I made like, there were two points here that I, I, I liked. And because a lot of our listeners are students, I always like to ask uh, our uh, guests, and how important do you see, like, looks like you, you did a lot of internship and you were looking, seeking for those internship during uh, undergrad and also during grad school when you're in your master's. How do you value those for you during your career? How important do you think they were for you, like going out and seeking for getting hands-on experience before you actually face the real world, let's say like that? Uh, Absolutely crucial. I mean, it's still experience I draw back on. And even though some of those experiences were really short, I, I, I had a, an affinity for it, I, and also just a really strong memory of it. Um, and it's still, it still provides some sort of, sort of base of my understanding of the industry, of how people work, of you know, what needs to be done. And, you know, what are even some of the challenges in doing that sort of work? So, um, and, and, and also a connection with the people mm-hmm. who now are my clientele, um, because those were the sort, those were the people that I was, you know, in, interning with. So, yeah. in, incredibly valuable. That, that's good. I, I always like to point this out to encourage students who are listening to us to seek for internship, to look the for those hand, hands-on experience. And the other point that I point out here, you mentioned like you went to a farm and you you had kind of a mentor, this lady who were guiding you. I always uh, also like to ask how important, we may talk about this later, or uh, how important was finding this person as a mentor? And maybe we can, you can talk about other mentors that you had throughout your career. Uh, on, on your career, like finding people who can guide you, who can tell you for, I think for Brooke and I, one of the, the greatest things that we have by recording this podcast is that we can use people uh, experience to our own. Like we, we can yeah. hear from, from your own experience and, and use that for us. But I always like to ask our guests, like how, how important was finding somebody like this lady or, and even you can mention about others that you had throughout your career. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, she was incredibly valuable even to my future. She introduced me to professors at Texas A&M who she was connected with be- through the industry. So even going on to grad school, that connection was important. And, you know, we had, 
I, I, I guess if, if, if what, what strikes me about mentoring seems so formal and I never, I never defined it as that. Clearly that's what she was as well as others. And I think that we need to, uh, I mean, we need those experiences, but I don't think it has to be sometimes, you know, it's not something that you make a formal arrangement about always. Exactly. Um, and you need to identify, you know, sometimes maybe it's after the fact that you identify those people, but, you know, connecting with them. And, um, and I would also say that even with her, it was a, you know, two-way, a, a two-way street. I mean, you know, she was in a very small town in Texas, had recently become a widow and was in a place where she needed some connection to a world outside of where she was. And so, I don't know, you know, just as a, as a young adult, it was a, an incredible um, experience for me. That, that's a great point. I, we, we often think about a mentor, that very experienced person who is going to guide us, but maybe it could be more a partner, a person that, that can be both, both ways uh, uh, that we can get advantage from them. That, I, I like that. So, so okay, that let's take this point off uh, out of your way. And uh, how was you? I mean, since high school, you've mentioned that you want the educational part and everything. And and during grad school, I assume you're getting you got involved more with extension. Uh, you briefly mentioned your work starting Colorado. How was that? And how was coming back to California? Can you tell us about that process? And what do you do today in your current job? Like how how is how does that work as an as an advisor? Um, yeah, so I, I really wanted. I, I mean, I started in as I said an extension in Colorado and was an ag advisor. So I was covering things that I didn't have a lot of background in. Um, you know, they grew corn and alfalfa as well as had beef cattle. Um, I wasn't there very long, but it was a great introduction to extension. And I really wanted to come back to California. Um, so I uh, had my first job in California in the Northern Sacramento Valley. I was the livestock advisor in, in um, Glen Tehama and Calusa counties for about six years. And, um, and now ever since have been in the Bay Area um, because that's where my um, husband ended up being in, in high tech. So it made a lot of sense. And I, I just want to, to share with how unique and of an opportunity it is really to be a livestock advisor in the San Francisco Bay area. I would believe that many people do not even think that we have livestock. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I know this even within our own organization um, that I had applied at one point for the job and they took the job away because the county director in Alameda County at the time didn't believe there were any more livestock in the county. And therefore uh, there wasn't no, no longer a need. Um, it couldn't be further from the truth that the area's farmland has largely been developed. The, the, the Valley of the Heart's Delight, that was this valley that was rich with stone fruits um, has been completely replaced by the Silicon Valley. Um, the rangeland and the foothills surrounding the valley are largely intact and managed as they've been for the past 
I don't know, 100 plus years with extensive livestock grazing, primarily beef cattle. But the big change is, is in ownership. Um, a, much of it now is public land that is grazed, not federal public land. People think of public land, they think of Forest Service and Bureau of Land Management. But in the Bay Area, it's a lot of other jurisdictions from cities to county, to regional districts, to water districts. There's over 30 different public agencies that are managing open space land and using grazing. And so um, it provides a real unique opportunity um, of working with these landowners um, and really thinking about how we keep rangelands working um, and sustainable and working for conservation because that's really their focus. Their focus isn't on per se beef cattle production, mm -hmm. but on uh, a plethora of really conservation values that include habitat, but also watershed and now fire fuels management um, is more of a focus, but particularly habitat. So that's been sort of a focus of my, of my work um, has been looking at what is the relationship between grazing and habitat for specifically for endangered species, because we have like 90 of federally listed species in the Bay Area. And, and how do, how is your interaction with producers, like on, the, on, on those areas? Are those producers people from city or they're actually like traditional producers? I, I don't know how to say that. How, how is, do you have all types of people contacting you? What, what uh, type yeah, well, so I define at, at my, my, my clientele group, primary, uh, my primary clientele group as the large landowners um, and secondary, the, the ranchers. Mm -hmm. um, and the ranchers, yes, are, I, I, I wouldn't say completely traditional because I would say that anyone who's still ranching in the Bay Area, it, it, takes, a, it takes someone who's tolerant and who has a uh, I don't know if you'd count them as a progressive of some, to some extent, mm -hmm. but um, yeah, otherwise they just can't put up with, I would say largely even the hassle factor of being here. Many of them have multiple leases. Mm -hmm. um, they're leasing from various public agencies with different objectives. Mm -hmm. They also might be leasing private land and they may have some of their own land, but they, and then this would be true of our farmers in the area too, but being this close to an urban area, you have to, you have to be able to be uh, adaptable mm -hmm. and tolerant and willing to, to sort of uh, spend time often explaining things um, and regrouping, even maybe regrouping your animals, like, you know, sort of one of the test for a public agency might be, okay, you're gathering cattle and a group of hikers come through and scatter your cattle. What do you do? Yeah, I see. That's telling. <laughs> and then, and then, and then there's loss too, that they, they, they are susceptible to, which I also think takes, you know, that at some, some is compensated for some is not, you know, and that could be from, from, 
surely happens in many places in the state, but I think more frequently in an area like the Bay Area where you, you have such close proximity to urban areas where you have dogs that might chase cattle, might even, uh, you know, um, in some cases, uh, wildlife with mountain lion attacks. Um, I think what that, you even told me about like, a, there was a walking path inside a pasture, then people would come and cut the fence. There were, were you? Oh yeah, cutting the fence is a, is a common <laughs> thing to happen. Um, or, or keeping gates open or closing gates that should be open is another, I mean, and, and then the, the, the other one that ranchers are, are often uh, really discouraged by is when cows bed down calves and somebody from the public believes that the calf's been abandoned and then attempts to rescue the calf. Wow. Um, and that's a really hard one because it's so, unnecessary and and just a lack of understanding of what's happening and and frankly puts the person in danger yeah too. oh yeah <laughs> yeah that's that's a good point so i assume those are the one of the challenges that you have in your job but what is what is the favorite thing that you have in your job that you, like is there anything that you really like is the interaction with producers or with animals or what, what is the favorite thing that you have well uh I mean, I like the opportunity to be outdoors, to mm-hmm. to work with and to work with ranchers, um, in particular, and land managers. Uh, you know, the, the the people who have a real feeling for the land, a love for the land, and a love for their animals. Um, and I, it's it, it just makes it the best job. I I agree. <laughs> uh, and one one other question that I always like to ask. Is there anything that, um, like, when you are going out and starting your new job, what are the, what are the resources that you recommend people, like things that you rec- that you did that you recommend people doing? You know, like you said, I went out and asked for a producer. Is there anything else that you think you did specifically that you you like to to recommend people to do if they're going out and starting a, a career as an extensionist right now? Oh, and a career and starting a career in extension. What extension in, ag- yeah. in agriculture in um, general? Well, I, I, as we talked about, you know, experience working with with the with the producers is really is really key. Um, being in a place of of listening and 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 showing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that I feel like in my career I've gotten a lot of credit. Uh, often, and it's often for being present. And it really helps show that you are engaged and, and, and from it, you learn. Mm -hmm. And, um, and yeah, if you want to be begin to be engaged in, I think, extension, I think beginning to show up at, you know, producers meetings or other opportunities to support producers. um, Maybe it's, it's uh, working cattle. We have, you know, ranchers in our area who are very keen to help the the public students and others know about their operation and how to, how they work cattle, how they care for their animals, and are are uh, are frequently asking me, you know. Uh, we're going to have a roundup. Who, can you bring someone? Can can, can can you share with someone? So, 
um, they they realize the value of that, and um, and I and it's and, and if you want to be engaged, it's the way to um, great yeah. get off no, on the right foot. No, that's good. So uh, in our next episode, we are going to talk about some of your research. But I also want to ask on this one. I mentioned it briefly at the beginning that you just finished a PhD. Uh, I would like to ask you, how was that decision? How was deciding to come back to school? How challenging was that to you? And what is the value that you see now that you finished? Mm-hmm. Uh, off, like, can you tell us about like how long you were off school and how I was deciding to come back to a PhD? You mentioned your yeah. undergrad in, in California, master's in Texas, and worked for many years as, a, as an extension uh, advisor. And now, a couple of years ago, came back to, to school again to do a PhD. How was that decision uh, and how challenging was that for you? Well, it was something I swore that I would never do. <laughs> <laughs> I had no interest in going on to school. It seemed like a lot of work. Uh-huh. And then um, I think a, a few things aligned that made sense for me to pursue a PhD at Berkeley in environmental science policy management, really in, in sort of range science. Um, uh, one was a, a professor there, Dr. Lynn Hunsinger, um, who works in uh, social science and pastoralism. And I was just very interested in, in, in working rangelands as sort of her focus. And I was very interested in the sort of work that she was doing and saw that as an opportunity to learn more. And I really saw a need for there to be more social science. Um, I was realizing that in my area of looking at that, the ecology of like, and as I mentioned, I've been interested in grazing and endangered species Mm -hmm. that it's hard research to ever be sort of definitive about anything in terms of, you know, hardcore science answer on ecology. Mm-hmm. And, and ultimately, even if we did have the answer, it's not clear that it would always matter because of other social, um, really social um, and even economic factors. And so I saw there to be a need for us to also have a sort of a better understanding of the social ecological system. And I didn't feel like I had the research skills to engage in this type of research. And I realized that it was a type of research that in in school, I realized in going to Berkeley that it was a type of research that I actually do a lot. Mm-hmm. And I really like, and that includes, you know, participatory observation, for example, and as a research um, method, um, but also, you know, sort of survey, interview, you know, uh, one of these methods alone is often not enough to really get at yeah. what knowledge um, is there and what, what research question you're trying to answer. So doing sort of mixed methods um, is um, pretty is is a is a is a is a really clear strategy for doing social science research, and so yeah, going to uh, starting the program at uh, at Berkeley really 
provided some new avenues for me to learn about doing social science research and to really connect with um, folks even at UC C Berkeley. And, you know, I, I, I really feel like it took me in some good new directions for supporting my clientele mm-hmm. and, and really supporting ultimately this question, which is how do we keep rangelands working and supporting conservation that's nice. That's that's cool. It's it's not it's not a it's not often that we hear somebody who took that decision and and decided to to do that. It's it, I'm sure a lot of people may get encouraged by by listening to your to your story and and hopefully you're gonna be a good example for for everyone. Uh, and I will say I kind of had it easy that there was a lot of overlap between what I do mm-hmm. and my work and what I was studying and my ability to apply it. So it made it easier on both accounts, but it was, it was a heck of a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're saying that it seems like, oh yeah, everything were flowers and easy, but I, I, I assume wasn't that, that fun, but. No, uh, I still had to write things that I, yeah, you wouldn't normally write. And, but I had lots of really good opportunities, including, taking a class in environmental journalism, which was excellent um, to learn to be mm-hmm. a better writer. And cool. Yeah. That's nice. Uh, yeah. I think like now I'm, we are ready to move to our final questions. Do you have any questions, Brooke, uh, related to Sheila's career or something like that? I do. I have one question it's related to going back and getting your PhD. Did it take you longer since you were balancing being an advisor and doing your PhD? Did it take you longer than it would typically take a, a typical PhD uh, program? Well, when I started the program, my assumption, I don't know why, was that a typical PhD program takes four years. Mm-hmm. And they told me, I think this was the first day that the normative time is like eight to 10 or something in social science. And I was just like, whoa, okay. I wasn't thinking, expecting that. (laughs) So, and that's because generally there's, I would say there's a lot of upfront effort in sort of knowing who the people are that you're going to be working with, maybe even learning a language. And so I got to truncate some of that, I would say. (laughs) Because uh, I already had connection with my 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 people, if you would, um, and um, so so uh, yes, um, you know it 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 was extra work, but I I would say that um, I think uh, COVID also was a bit of a you know reset in terms of how people were spending time and so forth, and so I was able to probably utilize that to my advantage a bit to finish sooner than I might have otherwise. Good. That's good. So any other question, Brooke? Nope. That was it. Okay. So now Sheila, we're just going to go to some quick final questions to learn more about yourself. We've asked a lot of things about your career. It was great to hear and learn a lot of things about you. Uh, We have very uh, three Quick questions, and the first one is, uh, what is your favorite food? Well, it's meat. Okay. <laughs> In fact, yesterday I was asked, what's my favorite fruit or vegetable? And I said lamb. 
so, so no, <laughs> no, I really like lamb. Um, I, I didn't grow up eating lamb, but um, maybe because I, my parents come from that generation where they were served mutton and had a distaste for it. But I actually was a, was an exchange student in the Middle East uh, in Jordan for a year and ate a lot of lamb and developed a love for lamb. So oh, were you, I didn't know that. that. I mean, that's something that we should have talked a little bit, but that, can you just mention briefly, I, uh, how was that experience? Like and how, how was going there? Yeah. So I took a year off after, after uh, high school before I started at UC Davis Uh -huh. And I, I really wanted to learn a language and I wasn't, hadn't done very good in Spanish. So I said, send me any place that doesn't speak English. Uh -huh. and, and I went to Amman, Jordan, and I learned, uh, spent a, most of my time learning Arabic. Wow. And I had an excellent host, fam host family um, who I am still very close to um, and staying, I mean, stay in contact with. Um, they were Palestinian Muslim living in Jordan, and I, you know, was was spent time in a in an all girls school is where I got put. But I spent a lot of my time in the elementary school with much younger girls learning the language, and yeah, it was a really good experience, and I was really thankful for it. And also, it it it, it led to um, unfortunately I didn't get to complete the project, but because of COVID, but I had a project with the Foreign Ag Service working in Amman, Jordan, doing rangeland management training with the Ministry of Ag. Um, and so that was really a great opportunity. And I look for opportunities like that in the future. So that was my first ever professional connection with my past in terms of, yeah, being an exchange student. That's that's amazing. That, I mean, those things are always surprising to me when I hear this. But uh, how <clears throat> how do you think that that experience helped you? We talk about the internship, but like an exchange program. It, did um, it, how, yeah, how for, for certain. I mean, I, I think, you know, uh, be just being adaptable and, you know, being in a, a in with a group of people where you're different. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, I definitely find myself that way working with ranchers, you know, commonly I'm the only, maybe the only female there or whatever. So, um, just, you know, just an, an awareness of, of, you know, be, being in, being in a different, in different situations, how to adapt, how to listen, um, all of that I think has, has value. Awesome. That's pretty good. That's nice. Uh, the last two questions. One is, uh, what is your favorite type of song? Or what is the song that usually plays in your radio? Yeah, I read that and I, I'll be contrary and say <laughs> that I am more, I, I mean, I do sometimes listen to a variety of songs, um, but I like some pop and, and uh, I don't know, even some Arabic music sometimes still. But I, I, I more recently I found myself spending time listening to books books okay and that started while i was in school because my eyes would give out at night and so and we and for for my uh qualifying exams one of the professors had me read all these books and i was just like oh my gosh i don't know <laughs> how i can read all these books and uh -huh. i found one online and uh, on audible uh -huh. uh, an audiobook 
and so I started listening to books. Um, and I, I've, I don't know if I find that really. That's good. Now that that's going to let you uh, another question a little bit. So uh, last but not least, there are two things. Is there anything that you know today that you would like to know when you're leaving school? Like, what would you tell yourself today if you meet you, like when you're finishing school and going to your real world job? What, what do you know today that you would like to know back then? Um, yeah, I, I struggled with what an answer would be. Not that everything was, was perfect, but I think that's what made it is that, you know, you take and, and so I guess, I guess it's, yeah, that knowing that there's going to be, I look at it as doors, you know, there's lots of doors and, 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 and constantly looking for those doors and not being afraid to, to look for the doors that are particularly that are open mm -hmm. and, um, and don't be afraid to go through them. And, and, uh, and I, I feel like that's sort of what, what has led me rather than being sort of you know, you have to have some focus to have a direction, but on the other hand, being so focused that you miss those doors. Um, I, I, I feel like that's what's added value to, to my life and what I've done is, is finding opportunities is what they are. Great. like that. So you mentioned about the, the, the audible, the audio books that you like to listen. We have our kettle call top tip, which is usually we ask for something that we recommend to our listeners to check. Uh, it could be, uh, 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 I don't know, uh, a music or a book or something or a paper, research paper, documentary thing on Netflix or whatever. Is there any because you like audiobooks, is there any book that you would like to recommend? I also love audiobooks. That's like one of my favorite things because like when I, while I'm driving or doing other stuff mm -hmm. or podcasts or other things, is there anything that you would like to leave as our top tip? Yeah, I, I, can, I, can I recommend three different books? Sure. <laughs> so, so one is, the, uh, is Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. um, the, it's not, it's not an, it's a biography. I think it's just called Elon Musk and mm -hmm. it's a, it's an audio book. Okay. And it's a written book too, of course, but you know, it's pretty, I don't know. It's an interesting story. And I just really a marvel with how somebody took on two industries that would seem absolutely like, how could you possibly take on aerospace and, and, uh, and the car market simultaneously and be successful. Yes. And so it's, it's an excellent story and just a lot of food for thought. Um, and then the big fat surprise. Oh yeah. I have that one here. I love that book. Yeah. It just really, I like what it challenges you to think about research mm -hmm. and how research can be, you know, and this is true of any research and how research can be used to, make certain points and how we might make things that are not really significant, create larger significance of them and sometimes even miss what's even more important. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it sort of looks at how, of course, fat has become this evil in our diets, but not, not, not really. The research isn't there to really support, support that. 
And then the last one I'll tell you, which I, I uh, just really has really, I don't know, just made me think about the industry of beef, which is the travels of a t-shirt. Um, and it, as, as, as noted, it's written by a professor, I think an anthropologist, I believe. And, you know, she looks at where the cotton came from, uh, how the t-shirt got made, and then where it ended up in the end. And it's just, uh, you know, I find a really fascinating story. I'm, I'm interested in systems. And it's, and it looks at it from a sort of systems approach, but also brings in the people. Mm-hmm. Um, along the way and it's just it's it's well well it's a it's a great listen and a, and just fascinating to think about supply chains and mm-hmm. um you know the connections you know that are now global yes of course this t-shirt is global i mean she goes to to china to learn when the guy spins a globe because he can't pronounce it that the cotton came from lubbock texas Wow. That's, that's that. Yeah. We are in a global world and that that's really good. I, I will look for them, but that, that one is exciting. Okay. Sheila. So yeah. Uh, last but not least, again, now it's finally, how can we people like contact you if they have questions, go to the ANR website, or do you have anything else that we could follow your work and, and see the things that you do? Like social. Yeah, so I have a, a website. It's uh under Bay Area Rangelands. Okay. Um, it'd be the easy way to find it. UCCE Bay Area Rangelands, I believe it would come up. Um, but also you're welcome to email me and that uh, contact would also be there, but it's S Barry, really easy at B-A-R-R-Y mm-hmm. at U C A N Perfect. Yeah, we we will leave the the website and your university profile in the description of the episode. And if somebody has any questions, they can reach out to you. Uh, well, thank you once again for joining our podcast for telling about your story. I always like to do that. There were some surprising things to me, like your uh, exchange program, and like it's good to hear that you came back to school after a while and enjoyed that. Uh, so. Listen to your career is is being really good. Uh, Brooke, do you have any any final questions? Anything? No, nothing for me. Okay, so Sheila, thank you once again. Uh, I would just like to thank you for for participating and letting us hear about your story. I don't know if you have any final comments or anything else. So, for those of you who are listening to us. Uh, Please subscribe to our newsletter if you have any comments or questions about this episode. All of the information in the description of, of this episode, you can send an email to kettlecallucd at gmail.com uh, if you have questions, comments, anything. So please stay with us, join, share this episode with friends who might take advantage of this as well. And remember, it's always a good time for a kettle call. Lonesome cattle call